We're very pleased that Melissa Chu has agreed to moderate tonight's program. We have one substitute speaker who was not listed in the announcements, but she'll introduce him. Uh, Melissa is the director of the museum at the Asia Society in New York, and previously she was the founding director of the Asia Australia Art Center in Sydney. She has organized nearly 30 exhibitions of contemporary work by artists from Asia, including artists from China, Japan, Iran, the Pacific Islands, and Korea. And she's also the author of several books, including Breakout, Chinese Art Outside China, which is particularly relevant because uh, all of our panelists uh, tonight are not living in China today. And also she's written Chinese Contemporary Art, Seven Things You Should Know. Please welcome all of our panelists. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here. I think um, some of us have flown here to be with you this evening, and it's great to be here at the Getty, and I thank our organizers, Okala and the Getty, for bringing us together. It's a pleasure to be able to speak about China at a time when China is certainly in the news. If you haven't already seen the exhibitions that are here at the Getty, I encourage you, because I think, if anything, it shows you not just the uh, historical perceptions and uh, images of China, but also today's China, today's images of China. And the big difference, I think, is that on the one hand, you have images taken by uh, sometimes European artists, but in two particular exhibitions here at the Getty, you also have uh, images that were created by Chinese. And I think that that's really what we're here to talk about tonight, which is this uh, idea of the new China. What is it about the new China, if it even exists? And we have three really great speakers who are joining us tonight, and I'm going to introduce them because each of them uh, come from the creative fields. We have two visual artists, a curator and an architect, and they're going to bring, I think, insights, not just so much even what's going on today, but also through their own personal uh, backgrounds and experiences. Uh, let us know about what China was like even 10, 15 or 20 years ago, because I think if you really want to understand what's going on right now, you have to go back a little bit. Um, I'm going to first introduce Zhengsheng Tian, who is to my right. He, he was, of course, born in China and graduated from the China Academy of Art where he later worked uh, as a professor in painting for 30 years. He's uh, highly revered in China, and I can attest to traveling with him throughout China, and um, every city we would go to, he would be met by his adoring students who would want to take him out to dinner and um, foot massage and many other things. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Cheng, that's revealing too much, perhaps. Um, but in 2002, he co-founded Ishu, which is... Um, one, of the, um, one of the first and only um, English journals on Chinese contemporary art, and it uh, comes from Vancouver, but if you don't know it, you should really um, find out more if you're interested in Chinese contemporary art. To uh, my closest left, it's um, artist Gu Wenda, who is really best known as an experimental artist in China. He was born in Shanghai, uh, graduated from the Shanghai School of Arts in 1976 and the China Academy of Arts. In 87, he moved here to the United States and in that time has really become 
an international figure for, uh, in the international art world. And finally, Ching Yun Ma, or Dean Ma, as he seems to be known here in Los Angeles, who is the school, uh, who was the dean of the School of Architecture at the University of Southern California, and he's been called one of the world's most influential designers by Business Week. He earned his bachelor's degree in civil engineering and architecture from Tsinghua University in Beijing in 1988, and in 1991 he received his Master of uh, Architecture from the University of Pennsylvania. He's launched a number of global initiatives, including the USC American Academy, Academy in China. So I'm just going to ask you to welcome our guests, please. So as I mentioned before, uh, we have this esteemed uh, th group of three speakers who tonight I'm going to ask each of them to describe some of their earliest experiences of uh, living and working in China um, as artists or architects um, to give us a sense of the landscape, what it was really like for them as creative figures, because we have, interestingly enough, three very different generations also um, represented here. And I'm going to ask Zheng Shengtian first up to talk about that, because um, we know that China has changed markedly. We know that uh, since last year, actually, the New York Times um, announced China as the second largest economy. We know uh, various different issues around uh, Chinese contemporary art that some of the photographs in the new Chinese exhibition address. They address issues around um, specific iconography of the Cultural Revolution. They address um, issues around tradition, how, how artists relate to tradition in different ways. Um, and even more recently, the adoption of new media like photography has been very important to a younger generation of artists. But I'm not going to speak any more than wanting to turn it over to Zheng Shengtian to tell us about his experiences, because Zheng Shengtian um, really did experience the Cultural Revolution firsthand. And his experiences, especially in Hangzhou at the Art University, I think have, have a lot to offer all of us. Um, it's just uh, a few moments ago, uh, we were had some conversation behind the stage. And uh, Mr. Ma said that uh, when he was a child, his dream is to become either artist or a kung fu master. <laughs> I think that tells actually exactly, uh, you know, the position for artists in China. Uh, it's quite different uh, with what it, in the uh, Western society. To, to be an artist in China, um, even when I was a child, it's kind of a privilege. You always want, you dream to be an artist, and if you are an artist, you will be respected by most people, by your family, your friends. So, uh, talking to my experience when I was a child, when I was selected to art school, then uh, after high school training, uh, come to uh, the Academy of Fine Art, one of the, the best um, art academies in China, uh, which is uh, now it's called the China Academy of Art in Hangzhou. It was uh, such a privilege because I feel I was uh, selected uh, 
to be uh, joined as like an elite group. Even that, like 1950, 1960 was a revolutionary time, but I think the art school was a little bit like an ivory tower. You, you were there, you had the chance to see uh, other artists working, and you can meet uh, great masters, teachers, and you had the chance to uh, work in uh, a studio. Even, you know, at that time, it was an extremely um, kind of a, uh, controlled by the, or the ideology controlled by government. But in the art school, in the campus, you still can paint like a nude model. You can... Uh, this was before the Cultural yeah, Revolution. Yeah, this is before the Cultural Revolution, 1950, before. 1960. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, you do uh, live drawing, live painting, you have a library. It's a very limited collection, but you still had a library, which can you have a little um, kind of an uh, opportunity to uh, uh, read uh, the writers, uh, philosophers from... Uh, from China and from uh, other parts of the world. But of course, Cultural Revolution started a new, uh, totally different period. It's uh, in 1966 when the so-called Cultural Revolution broke in, the, all the campus, of course, stopped the regular uh, program classes. All the uh, students, uh, like they organize themselves and become mm. kind of a different Red Guard faction or other uh, rebelled teams. And for about a year, the whole country was a chaos. There's nobody <laughs> working in the studio, there's no teaching class. Uh, same in the art school. But after one year, some historians say after two years, but uh, it's, it's my experience, after one year, in 19. Uh, 67, actually middle of 1967, actually the artists were allowed to um, to work. Of course, the arts uh, you can not work as I described in the normal way like before, but the, you you can start to grab your uh, brush and the paints to do painting, but the, the the theme, the subject is very limited. You have to do mouse portrait or propaganda, um, but uh, at least they will use their professional skill uh, to work um, um, with their uh, colleagues and the students. I want to show you a few slides where in, in China, <laughs> in Hangzhou at that time. Yeah, this is me. <laughs> this is him. <laughs> this is myself in 1967. I'm, uh, I was working in the billboard, a huge <coughs> mouse portrait. Uh, at that time, uh, the only uh, one image you can do was a mouse. And uh, we were uh, asked to work in all kinds of uh, locations, like mostly in the public space. Like uh, This is a huge mouse. In, uh, um, in front of a Hangzhou steel factory. Mm -hmm. And it's on the big billboard. This is my uh, uh, 
colleagues and the students. So everyone worked, yeah, everyone worked together to create this painting. Everyone worked together. We worked on the like a scaffold and uh, finish a painting in one day. And uh, yeah, because uh, you use a uh, uh, house paint, you know, those can paint dry very fast. <laughs> but then after many many portraits, you you. Uh, exercise. Actually, you learn. You you, are, uh, you become a very skillful. And then one day we can do a huge. No matter what size it was, we were finished. <laughs> <laughs> because there is no way you can continue. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, this actually lasts about uh, uh, three months, four months. In China, it was called uh, Red uh, Ocean. It was a name for this period of time called the Hong Hai Yang. It means red ocean. It means you have to decorate the whole country with red color. I, I think when you know art critic wrote about uh, Wenda's work, early work especially, they all mentioned this. Mm-hmm. Wenda said when he was a kid, he was influenced by this movement. Mm-hmm. So his work, actually, you know, contemporary work, had a lot of a uh, Red color mm-hmm. was the the impression he learned when he was a little kid. Yeah. But anyway, um, after this three four months, uh, the revolution campaign was a little bit calmed down, and we were allowed when uh, to go back to the studio to do the work on canvas or on uh, paper. So that's one of the painting I finished with uh, uh, two. My colleagues, uh, Zhou Reiwen and uh, Xu Jingxuan, it was uh, uh, a painting of Mao inspect uh, southern uh, north part of China, where he gave the order. He asked the Red Guards going back to the school and stop fighting with each other. So actually, at that time, I like that. Uh, you know, the order it means that we, we, we now we can. Uh, I put life back to the normal, and so I uh, made this uh, composition. The design of Mao was uh, looking at the, the movement uh, uh, from like uh, from top, from high uh, position, and the, the painting was very uh, uh, was then published and also copied by many other artists. You know, like in the railway station. In uh, other public square, uh, it's uh, um, become one of the very popular posters at that time. Until the painting was uh, um, criticized by Jiang Qing, because, uh, <laughs> because uh, Jiang Qing didn't like this uh, trip Mao did uh, in mid 1967, because that. Uh, that trip actually Mao criticized some of the uh, extreme leftist uh, um, position, and then Mao wanted to the school, the student go back and stop stop uh, fighting each other, you know, between the factions, you know, and, and they want to uh, the country, you know, getting back to the normal. And the Jiang Qing was behind that kind of extremely left, uh, left-wing policy. Mm-hmm. So Jiang Qing hated that uh, 
Mao's order at that time, and so he did, she didn't like the painting. So she, she told the leader of our school, said, this is not a good painting. I will introduce you a good painting, which is Mao goes to Anyuan, right. become the, Just another, yeah. uh, the model of uh, mm -hmm. Chinese painting. What I want to say is that during the Cultural Revolution, of course we all know this is the period of time it was a chaos and the violence, you know. It's a disaster for the country. Mm. A lot of uh, uh, people lost their life. But also at the same time, we, we must know uh, for many younger generations, mm. this is the time they start to grow up. And they have never had the chance before to uh, have this freedom to, to challenge yeah. the authority yeah. and to travel freely. You know, during that time, we were all had this privileges. You travel anywhere in China for free. You can, you can take train, take bus, you can mm -hmm. even fly. You don't need to pay anything. Yeah. And any city you go, there's a free meal, there's free accommodation. Imagine if that happened here in the United yeah. States. <laughs> Chaos. So the kids are really yeah. like that. Yeah. They really enjoy it. Yeah. And I think that that period is not just you know fun, but also and as kind of a build, kind of a um, a new generation's mind. Mm -hmm. And for many artists who grew up during that time. Like uh, Gu Wenda, like Cai Guoqiang, mm -hmm. uh, like Huang Yongping, mm -hmm. they all remember, uh, like Xu Bing, you know, remember, they, their childhood actually had a lot, very strong influence on their work, yeah. even now. Yeah. So uh, a few years ago, I had uh, uh, Melissa and me co curate a show called Art and China's Revolution. We tried to present the cultural production uh, during that terrible period of time. But uh, we want people to know this is a, a period that we cannot ignore because if we want to understand the Chinese art now, we should have the knowledge about what happened mm -hmm. 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure to work with Sheng on that exhibition. I have to say it was, one of the, it was really the first effort to look at this period, which was often considered something of a, um, a kind of blind spot or a kind of black decade in China. I think it's the perfect segue into Wenda. Wenda, you know, is, is really, as I mentioned, um, known for uh, his kind of international reputation, especially in the form of installation art. But when he was in China, he was very much a, a radical, quite a radical artist who used uh, ink painting in a uh, very experimental fashion, both in terms of the scale of the work, in terms of the calligraphy that was, you described them as pseudo-characters that were uh, partly legible, partly not. Um, and in fact, his work, his exhibition was closed down by the authorities, which then prompted him to move here to the United States. But I wonder, Wender, if you might tell us um, more about that particular time in China, because there was this uh, great optimism of China. Remember, China 
um, was opening up. It was a period of great liberalization in the 1980s. Oh, where to start? To yes, where it's hard <laughs> to go back so far. But given where Sheng has left off, I think it's a great, um, you know, if you think of that decade of the Cultural Revolution ending in 1976, and then your generation was the first that really went to art school after the disruption of um, the art education system. You always tell that story of feeling very lucky to have got into yes, art yes, school, yes. actually. Actually, uh, I try to say is, uh, you know, the people who experienced, truly experienced through the Cultural Revolution, actually, that was the disaster experience. But uh, for me, my generation, actually, we, somehow, in some way, we greatly benefited from the Cultural Revolution. Because before the Cultural Revolution, you don't have individualism. You, you like a whole country, billions of people believe Mao's ideas. And then right after the Cultural Revolution, the kind of awakening of individual thoughts, and you thrive for the, for the individualism and your self-existence. So this, this is the kind of thing my generation really benef benefited from the Cultural Revolution, actually. And the other thing is, as Professor Mr. Chen said, uh, the, the child memory always interwoven into, uh, with my, my art creation. As I have a, a daughter just adopted from China, right? Now she's uh, once a week to see the a psychologist because of her earlier abandonment. So the, the one year and a half experience of bending, mm. so brought her a lot of troubles later on. So this is the kind of thing, my early works actually really focused on what happened uh, with my childhood and my, my experience late with the, with the Cultural Revolution. Mm. So my, my artworks actually somehow always uh, related to the puzzling about the, the, the the, the, my early experience. So we can show mm -hmm. the work, and I can see, yeah. So when Sheng talked about the red of the Cultural yes, Revolution yes. being very important, you can see very clearly here. Yeah. Tell us about this. Okay, I was actually good, lucky enough then the time I become a conscious to be a conscious to be artist, then that, that all the art schools are actually opened. So I got a chance to go into the school, and right after school, actually, I really lucky enough to get into the so-called 85 art movement, which mm -hmm. is the beginning of China contemporary art movement. It's called uh, 85 New Wave. Yeah, movement. New Wave art. Yeah. And then I become one of the, the main figure in this movement. And the work I showed here is the, actually holds several records of, from that period. The first one is this is a work, actually the first kind of ink painting with mixed media as an installation in China art history. And as the first Chinese art, art, contemporary artist work to participate in International Biennale in Switzerland. And also, you can see from the image, it's kind of has a big poster type to combine with Chinese calligraphy the color black, white, red, actually it's kind of a reflection of the 
the revolutionary period. So, not mentioning later on, you have a movement called political uh, pop, 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 political pop. But uh, this one actually is among the very beginning of the political, uh, the artwork intertwined with the political image、mm. and the colors.、Mm-hmm. So, and you'll see the red cross is also a reference to the Cultural Revolution, and、um, which used to denote, denote, was used in denunciations, public denunciations, and things like that. And yes,、yeah. and then, and actually, mother from Xi'an, right?、Mm-hmm. The, this actually the work was in the my first solo show, and happened in, in Xi'an, and the show actually was closed right before the opening. And the Xi'an Academy of Arts students, they're all waiting outside of the, the, the exhibition hall. Then、uh, the thing is that the, the propaganda department <coughs> of of Shanxi Province went to see review the work before its opening, and the actually、uh, the the whole exhibition actually composed by the, all the creative Chinese calligraphy, the languages which cannot be readable. And so they, therefore, the officials they thought about these unreadable characters has some hidden meaning behind. So, and it's it's a, it's in a very odd situation. If you anything different than a tradition is 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 bad. But at the same time, if anything is and then as a tradition, traditional and also be criticized as a. As a feudal tradition, so、mm-hmm. you put artists in a very difficult, you know, kind of embarrassment, like this kind of situation.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when do you chose to use ink and refer to tradition at a time when really very few other artists were doing that? Most artists were using,、uh, were painting in oil painting on canvas. Or they were doing、um, some performance art.、Mm-hmm. Um, it was really unusual. So why why did you choose ink? The you know the the contemporary art in China at that moment actually as a, the, the imported art format, and the most、uh, contemporary artists actually come from the ed- education background of oil painting,、mm-hmm. design, and sculpture.、Mm-hmm. The Chinese painting department. They actually not involved with all of these.、Mm-hmm. It's like a out of the, the contemporary movement.、Mm. And then, as me, I graduated from the Chinese landscape painting department. And I kind of in in between. I have a kind of traditional uh, uh, education knowledge, and at the same time, I was totally threw myself into the contemporary movement. And then later, I found out I, I really greatly. Benefited from this、mm. because most of the contemporary artists they don't really have the knowledge of the the the, the traditional Chinese aesthetics and 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 and, and cultural inheritance.、Mm-hmm. So this is a、um, brought me into the special standpoint during the movement.、Mm-hmm. And I always think about it: the challenge should be both sides. Not only、uh, you taking the contemporary art from the West to To,、uh, to eliminate the Chinese great tradition.、Mm-hmm. At the same time, you have to use the Chinese traditional culture, Chinese special、uh, aesthetics to challenge the West. It's it's kind of both、mm-hmm. sides. I stand、mm-hmm. this this point. So 
Therefore, later on, this become more valid uh, 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 concept, mm -hmm. especially uh, today. People rethink what they did in the past. But uh, that time to import completely uh, Western culture also mm -hmm. is important because they try to you know, break the, 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 the barriers mm -hmm. of the, the, mm -hmm. the cultural creation limitations. Yeah. yeah. So if you think just for a moment of some of the images that Sheng showed you of the big billboard Mao paintings and now to Wenda's uh, kind of com combination of ink painting installation art just nearly ten, a decade later. Now if we turn to Ching Yun, who is 10 years older than Wenda, so yet again another generation, who uh, both has a practice in architecture but also is dean here in, uh, here in Los Angeles. What were some of your experiences? Because we were talking before and you said really uh, all architects in China were studying art as a way of training, and so that would have had also an impact on not just your generation of architects but also um, your own practice. Yeah. Um, I would connect uh, to what uh, Professor Jun uh, started where um, uh, when I said um, uh, kids in China during the 60s um, are either trained as artists or Kung Fu uh, artists, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, particularly from my city, Xi'an. Uh, but the, the truth is actually the educated, uh, well uh, 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 funded family uh, actually mostly train their kids in arts and really poor people train their kids in uh, martial arts. Um, so this actually there's a very clear uh, separation there. But my family was extremely confused uh, uh, because uh, not only because my family is actually in the military uh, uh, situation and my father is from a very poor family and my mother is from a very educated family. So. Somehow I was trained both martial art and uh, art. Um, so, and then that confusion uh, 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 came along with me uh, before I have to go to college, then what I'm going to do. So architecture seems to be a, a, a kind of a, a, a continuation of that confusion. Uh, but, also, but also, if I might just... There were very few major architectural projects going on in China at this time. Right, So right. for you to be thinking about architecture well, in so itself that, would have been it's unusual. Both either art or the Kung Fu uh, uh, skill is really a kind of a skill of living. Uh, in Chinese, we call it sheng ji ha, yi ji zhi chang. So it's really not about any kind of social uh, uh, undertaking or, uh, or a professional uh, trajectory. It's really about how do you live a life that actually prepare you to, 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 to advance, uh, mm -hmm. either financially or a stat, uh, social status. For, that's really the kind of uh, my memory in the 60s, and it's really the kind of, uh, I think it's, it's essentially important that the, that kind of art training, it's not uh, meant to be in any professional uh, <coughs> sense. So, and again, you know, uh, in the 80s, when 85, uh, our movement happened in Beijing, I was in college as well. Mm -hmm. uh, well, there is a big show in the art museum. Mm -hmm. uh, we were hiding behind the uh, campus reading Nietzsche and Kant, mm -hmm. uh, Karl Popper, and mm -hmm. all these amazing uh, philosophical works from Western uh, ideas. So mm -hmm. 
Simultaneously, there is a major art movement, but there is kind of a main flow of Western philosophies mm -hmm. then coming yeah. to the other side of the town, which is the Western side. Mm -hmm. So that too really kind of generated the foundation of mm -hmm. all the practices, uh, regardless of its fine art in what, what kind of media it is, mm -hmm. or architecture uh, in large. Um, so later on, I actually went back to China and fund, joined the first generation of architects that established private business. That was a quiet kind of a, a, a revolution uh, in the sense in the early 80s. Nonetheless, uh, um, the meaning of it is equivalent to the 85 uh, 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 art movement. Although, you know, art movement is this manifesto public uh, spectacle. Mm. But in architecture, because its operation is a process to mobilize social resources, defining spaces, therefore the movement tends to be much more silent and systematic and operational. So uh, late 80s and early 90s, the first generation of architects actually opened their own practice. That's mm. radical. If you, some of you here, yes. most of the buildings are done by uh, a ministry architects or the institutions. Mm -hmm. But uh, the private-owned architectural firm was really brand new to, to China. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really the start of kind of our, my practice in China. Obviously, we took different stands with the same kind of uh, independence uh, of mind and uh, critical uh, 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 proposition to the, to the society. But we have to work with the society because buildings can't really divorce itself mm -hmm. from how the society is formed. So, Although we're in the system, you have to be really in the system, both financially and politically, and built and construct out of the system. So the architects took a role that's somewhat integrated with the system, yet deliver uh, spaces and product mm -hmm. that is actually depart from the system that is being <coughs> part of. So it's, uh, if you put this two together, the art movement, architecture in a silent way, that probably really kind of um, uh, uh, helped to define the period when, you know, when Professor Zheng and Lao Gu and myself kind of practiced in China. I didn't bring any images, um, but I built a, a building in Pasadena. You're welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought, you know, uh, architecture is, once it's built, is always going to be there. It is up to you to criticize it. Uh, you can always go Which there. Which building? You'll have to tell everyone yes, now that well, I just it. built my uh, house in Pasadena. <laughs> You're all uh, welcome. Yes. <laughs> uh, She's a Greek host. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes, that's also a very strange uh, uh, kind of undertaking. In China, last 10 years, uh, we're designed, we're make built uh, cities in like five years. Here, I have to build 3,000 square feet a house, pass through 10 reviews, two public hearings, 20 <laughs> permits. Um, it lasts me three years to build a house with 3,000 square feet. But I want to get back to the topic yeah. of New China yes. a little bit. And maybe even talk about your sense of your generation as having a very unique characteristic which we spoke of before. Right, it's 1960s. It's really right in the middle of Cultural Revolution. Mm -hmm. As uh, Lao Gu was saying, uh, you know, for people who were part of the Cultural Revolution, that was a, you know, disaster. But mm -hmm was that born that, uh, in it, so we grow with the kind mm -hmm. of sense of um, liberated yeah. uh, uh, spirit. It, there's no reference. That's, that's why I always thought our generation is decontextualized generation. We don't have 
spatial or urban systems or to refer to. We don't have a, a, a traditional kind of mm -hmm. context to refer to. We don't have a lot of def uh, defining uh, forces around us. So that was, uh, so the, if you refer to the, the, all the photographers yeah. that in the show are all born in ranging from 62 to 67, mm -hmm. that generation is really, um, that generation has also a unique uh, educational background. Uh, when, <coughs> uh, when Professor Jones uh, was painting the Mao uh, mm -hmm. portrait, that was also uh, young, you know, educated youth was sent to the countryside. Mm -hmm. What that means is actually highly educated intellectuals was exiled into countryside and backward uh, regions to teach kids like me. Without Cultural Revolution, I would never be taught by the top professors mm. that were expelled from Beijing University, <laughs> go to my military setup, teach me as a kid. Yeah. So there's some kind of uh, amazing uh, um, mm -hmm. uh, 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 coincidence happens in the kind of uh, folding of super advanced uh, the intellectual with mm. very backward countryside. Uh, there's some kind of urbanization going on in that sense. So we were actually trained well because mm -hmm. of all the dispersion of the educated uh, minds into all the corners of China. So that's really mm -hmm. kind of my generation yeah. benefit from that. Yes, yes. Um, and um, it's really important uh, to note that. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm mindful that all three of our speakers also reside outside of China right now. So um, when we think of and we talk a lot about this new China, I wanted to hear from Yu Sheng firstly. What comes to mind with this new China, given that you've lived outside of China now for how many, two decades or so? When I first heard this mm. term, new China, mm. of course, I was a, a toad. It was began in 1949. Right. <laughs> because that's what they called because the new China. Because for, for Chinese people living in China of his yeah. generation, 49 also, was the new China. Yeah, and also because my family background, my father was educated in the United States in the 1920s. Mm. And he came back to China, become a professor in the university. Then he was one of the first elected uh, members of uh, legislation. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he's a, he was not a nationalist, but, but he was working for nationalist government. So 1949 actually marked totally the, uh, kind of a milestone of my family, his life. Mm -hmm. it's a, my father lost job, and uh, it was the whole nationalist government ran and uh, moved to Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And so my family life totally changed, and mm -hmm. we become... Uh, um, like a jobless, yeah. right? We were all kids. I have a lot of siblings. We have to find a way to finish our school by ourselves. Even I was 11 years old. Mm. I, I had to get a scholarship. Otherwise, mm. I, I couldn't stay in the school. So this is like a new life mm -hmm. to my family. I think for many millions of Chinese, yeah. in different ways, is it like a new life? So they call this a new China. The new doesn't have a, uh, you know, the, the, the value you say good or bad, but it's new. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we were told, we were educated in the school, is a new China, you know, when communists uh, took power and, you know, the whole old system mm. gone. Yeah. Then we, we are building a new society. 
But of course, this went to extreme in the 1960s with this uh, great leap forward mm -hmm. campaign and then anti-rightist movement and then cultural revolution. Uh, so to me, my experience, my, I think the new China starts from 1976, mm -hmm. the end of a cultural revolution. Mm -hmm. The reason I say that is because I think the cultural revolution, as the one does say, of course it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a bad time for the country. It's just some kind of a tragedy you will never want to see again. But also, from other side, we see because this cultural revolution, actually, the mass of this communist system was broken in China. Mm. And the, the worship of Mao, the kind of a blind belief of this, this what so-called communist social system was collapsed. I think that started a new, new era of um, individualism, free thinking, mm -hmm. and also the hope for the future. Mm -hmm. I, as I, uh, Wanda described in 1980, I think 1980 was one of the best time in China. Mm. And people are very optimistic, and that China just opened the door. Yeah. The, the market system was introduced. Not the bad thing, but the, the good thing. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, so you had uh, enough uh, uh, products yeah. for the people, you know, to improve their life, mm -hmm. and the, the uh, corruption and other things are not so bad as now, yeah. as you have now. So uh, we see this new, uh, new China start to build up. Mm. Um, of course, then it comes with a lot of uh, new social problems, as we see in other parts of the world, you know, uh, with, with this uh, uh, kind of a... Uh, Capital, <laughs> uh, um, not not Chinese. Uh, they call the uh, special um, with uh, the capitalism with the Chinese characteristics. characteristics. Chinese characteristics. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but to me, I think uh, uh, this uh, um, year, you know, between the Cultural Revolution and the, the new uh, Open Era, it was the mark of a new China mm, and. Yeah. The, the contemporary, I, I'm uh, specializing uh, the contemporary Chinese art history. So uh, to me, I think the contemporary Chinese art started from uh, late 1970s, like mm -hmm. 79. Yeah. The first uh, the star movement and yeah. the, the, some uh, no-name no society, all those shows, mm -hmm. and the uh, flourishing 1980, mid-1980s. Yeah. So that's actually, uh, uh, it's kind of a, um, a new, totally new era for Chinese yeah. artists. Yeah, I mean, when we start to uh, map out Chinese contemporary art history, we usually posit the beginning as 79, um, which was when China, um, Deng Xiaoping declared his open door policy and China really started to open up. So that's usually the originary point for what we consider Chinese contemporary art to be today. Wenda, mm -hmm. what do you think? New China. <laughs> <laughs> um, from my perspective, actually, actually, the new China 
reflected from my my own uh, kind of experience. I was born in Shanghai, and I lived in Shanghai for 24 years. And I moved to New York. I lived in New York about 24 years. It's totally actually balanced. And then my my son is 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 the balance, the the Libra. So it's kind of it's just right to my my experience. And then in many interviews, I always、uh, portrayed certain things. Actually, I I'm lucky because you know I can see through. Certain American American society, which most American cannot see it, because I have a China as a, as a counterpart, as a comparison, and I I see a lot of China China society things most Chinese cannot see because I lived in America for twenty four years. So these kind of constant conflict and benefits, so I can see uh, uh, see through a lot of things which a lot of people don't see it, and.、Uh, The thing is, I I I I told a, let's say、uh, three colors: black, white, and 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 gray. So I was born in 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 a, in a communist state, and I I informed, educated by the uh, uh, idealistic Marxism. Then I moved to the most、uh, sophisticated、uh, capitalist society in New York. So these kind of black white. Then I now back to China, return to China to experience, which is kind of I call the gray area, which is not a established marketing place, and it's not totally socialist anymore. It's not completely capital anymore. So it's kind of in between.、Mm-hmm. So I I I I feel I'm my I have three colors in me, and I feel lucky enough I can experience three of them.、Mm. So well, actually that kind of. Duality、yeah. between China and the United States, I think, is really present in your work as well. So, so many of your newer works are about ideas of language and mistranslation. Maybe、it's、you want to a, tell yeah, us yeah, a little、yeah. bit about the your Stone Steely's project. It's a, it's a laughable translation between、yeah. Chinese and English. Yeah, that you can have a look, the work. Actually, did it. I did it. Let's see. All right. It took me about twelve years. Uh, to complete this,、uh, the forest of stone stilies. Each stilies actually has the the tongue poem translation, and from、uh, English English version of tongue poem and translate back to Chinese by sound. Then you can see the 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 mistranslation, misinterpretation of the different cultures create something new. This is,、uh, I think,、uh, can symbolize the the the, the new China. Mm. In 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 informed, well informed by the West, but、uh, not yet. Still in in kind of debating process.、Mm. That's the detail of the the carving. The funny thing you can see this is the first one, the Chinese version. The second one is the Tang Poem English version, now used as the the、uh, Eastern study. And this is、uh, the the version retranslated from English version to back to Chinese by sound. Total nonsense. Yeah, <laughs>、right? it's nonsensical. Sound is the fanatic. Yeah, fanatic <laughs> translation. Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 the poem become very, I mean, kind of black humorous and surrealistic.、Mm-hmm. So this is a, that what I'm 
uh, symbolizes the what China today. You know, you're 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 in the middle way. It's it's, it's a kind of a situation. You know. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> so it's it's a very laughable thing. I <laughs> I, I spent a. Twelve years to make this joke. <laughs> <laughs> the longest joke in history, no? And then he had them carved in stone. Yeah, this is forever. See, the artist can how many years can be creative? You know, I maybe thirty years or whatever. You know, but the twelve years to make a serious joke is is kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Ching Yun, what do you think of when new, you new hear China. the new well, China? It's a very.、Uh, I don't know, but、uh, maybe every year is a new China because this is a year of rabbit. Next year is another year, so every、uh, sign has a new meaning.、Uh, so I do think that deeply in Chinese mind,、uh, renew the ability of being renewed and renewal is very essential. So where new China starts, actually,、uh, I have to trace back that in nineteen. 20s when the nationalists took over, that's already called New China. And 1940s when the、uh, student move started, it's also called New People, New China.、Uh, 1949, new, 70 and even、uh, entering entering the socialist uh, uh, regime, this five-year plan adopted from Russian kind of national planning system. Every five year, the country is new again. Uh, uh, every time you change uh, uh, president, a、uh, new again. Um, so, I think New China. It is more uh, 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 for me. It's、uh, the energy or the willingness to actually constantly renew, and that may be what,、uh, to my mind,、uh, would benefit the world in, in, in largely. Because if China、uh, can renew itself, I do think then the world will be、uh, much boring.、Uh, so. <laughs> So I do think that kind of instability of the、uh, of the state and 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 you know discontinuity, many criticism has been you know posed on how Chinese tradition has discontinued,、uh, the neighborhood gets get dismantled and replaced.、Mm. Yes, from a, you know from a Western sort of political point of view, it's very、uh, troublesome. But if you really think what how the world energy is being kind of somehow uh,、um, uh, congregated yet.、Um, Uh, distilled through that kind of renewal、uh, process, it may be、uh, not a totally bad idea. So, to me, New China is a condition,、uh, not only for China, but as a condition for、mm. the world.、And、that that that's really、uh, what I see from the artist's work.、Mm. And and I, I want to add one more、yes. thing. You know,、uh, since China liberated more, more took power, right? And I actually, the I want to point it to to. General American opinion, actually, how they influenced by the the media, which they absolutely exaggerated. So you're talking about the media perception of yeah, China. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I think that the、uh, China is a, is always is like a, a red monster, right? In the past, now they become economic power, become economic monster. But I, if I think that the both things cut in half, probably is the is the kind of Somewhere、uh, in the middle. Some in the middle is probably is the 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 truthful <coughs> China, and China is yet not yet you know the 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 the, the economic system, and and, and it's just kind of always in the process of、uh, adjust. It's just like a、uh, Mao said, it's kind of all renewed, renewed. It's actually 
is it kind of adopting and adjust itself.、Mm-hmm. And also, they talk about it, the young people before the Cultural Revolution or in the Cultural Revolution, they have a truly believe of more, like a ten thousand hearts as a ten thousand people has one heart. Then、uh, towards afterwards, you know, and then people gradually become more and more established as the individualism. And it also has a negative side, which become totally, absolutely selfishness and self-centered. It is also a problem. They call it as China young generation has no any belief other than self.、Mm. Also, is a problem. I think that China is constantly in the movement from left to right, right to left, always. I think that it would take a long, long time to make China as 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 a kind of comfortable and、uh, and then I don't know how can how can I explain it become stable, stable and、mm. become somewhere as as Confucianism said it in the middle way.、Hmm. Yeah. That's a great way to end. But before we do, I wanted to pose one last question to Ching Chingun because.、Um, When we think of the new China as well, it's so much about、uh, the architecture of the new city that we that we、um, that we see cities like Beijing having developed. In fact, when you when you talk to a lot of the leading architects here in the United States, they are all headed to China because that's where all the big projects are: big scale,、um, big funding, ambitious beyond belief. Um, so I wanted to pose this question to you: is, is how much, how how did architecture become so enmeshed with the idea of the nation in China? I mean, it was so clear if you compare the Beijing Olympics to the new London Olympics, where there are no new architectural commission, no new major architectural commissions. But for the Chinese government, architecture became a very important expression. Um, so why don't you just spend a few moments telling? Because、yeah. I think it's just、yeah. an important part of what we think、right. of China today.、Right. Um, this is, it's complicated, actually.、Yeah. Uh, it's um, if I think quickly, it probably has something to do with the uh, relatively um, uh, immature kind of. Social representation,、uh, things like this happens before. Like in every state of a kind of political change, architecture plays as a role, demonstrate and represent a social ideal. Happens. Well, it happens in, to yeah, New York too. New York, early twentieth century. In Italy, when the right when you know, it happens. It it, it represents a relatively old paradigm、mm. of how physical kind of representation、uh, actually. Related to the social initiative,、uh, but that's you know that's I think we can feel that. But it's also related to the kind of specific Chinese sentiment about image. It's actually slightly less than the Western kind of parallel phenomena in Chicago, the you know the white city in New York, the every you know. Empire State. But in in China, in China has something to do with the image.、Uh, Chinese tradition and and particularly intellectual tradition has a lot to do with the imagery. Imagery is a lot. Imagery represents the whole, you know. So buildings in China, it's actually instead of architecture as Western defined, it's actually imagery. So it has a, has a painterly, has a painterly imagery、face. nature in it. The face. Yeah, that's why it is so committed by the society to create radical buildings.、Mm. I mean, if you think other field of studies, that is something very very disrupted in it. 
So that's the second. Uh, lastly, I just uh, simply the, the social resource that pull into the building industry. Mm. It is really about the kind of raw urbanization. That's mm. really mm -hmm. next, mm -hmm. next, next 10 years, you all have heard 500 million to 800 million people yeah. will move to city, yeah. right? So, so how cities is going to represent a good place to live? Mm. Obviously, we're all here in the world, like Los Angeles is the best place to live because we don't have a city. <laughs> no, it's the weather. We, Coming from New York, it's the we, weather. <laughs> we, live, we live in Brentwood, we live in Bel Air. It's, it's the comfort of... But if that ideal is like now in China, we're, we'll face disaster very soon. We have to tell people cities are good. Live in a dense city is good for you. So, <laughs> I, I mean that, I mean that, no, I, particularly in the context of Los yeah, Angeles. Yes. Mm -hmm. So there is the kind of social, uh, uh, social scheme to create this draw to the highly dense, but beautified, mm. beautified, beautified imagery loading, loaded uh, 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 city. It's, there is a scheme behind it. Mm. I don't know whether it's organized or it's just, but. 500 million to 800 million people moving to city, mm. you have to deliver a city that's beautiful, that's livable, that's sexy and all this. But that's, that would be my reading. Well, we've run out of time. So, <laughs> um, if you wouldn't mind thanking our speakers, we're going to have some uh, time for questions from all of you. So please join me in thanking our speakers. Tonight. Art. Why is there a movement against artists in China like Ah Weiwei? And forgive me if I pronounced his name wrong. I, maybe I shouldn't answer. I don't think there's a movement against. Well, his studio's Ai been his studio's been demolished. He's been in beat Shanghai, up. Yes. Yeah. And I just wondered if that's you know, what about contemporary artists that are stepping out of the norm? How are they, in yeah. fact, today, 19, yeah. I mean, 2011, yeah. um, being dealt with? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question because more often than not, when I talk about Chinese contemporary art, there is always a question about censorship. People want to know how artists are, um, how artists are being treated by the state or by government authorities. Ai Weiwei is certainly a figure who has attracted the ire of various different authorities in various different provinces in China. I mean, it, it's true to say that he was beaten up by police in Sichuan province when he was there. His studio was demolished in Shanghai. He does live under police surveillance uh, in Beijing. Uh, he is one artist who has really tested the limits, I think, of what's possible. And in some ways, the Chinese state has created him because if they didn't pay him any attention, <laughs> we wouldn't know who he was. I mean, I, I, yeah, mean, I, I think, can, yeah. I can give yeah. you a personal experience, just like I mentioned my show was, first solo show was closed by the, the gov government authority, right? Actually, because of that, and it created such a, a national image, it's the best propaganda for me. So I crowned it as a, as a hero in, in that moment. And that even though I see that all the academies and they have students that posted my, my notes on the wall, all these, and it actually decreases itself. But 
my experience I can answer your question is Ai Weiwei is one single artist, mm. but you see hundreds, a channel will be millions of artists. They benefited the, all, the, the open They're all door. showing their work in yeah, museums, yeah, yeah. They all galleries. become wealthy and, and, and in this case. They're and all it, doing well. Yeah, the time when I was, the show was closed and my name was on the, the blacklist of the central propaganda government until my name took away from the blacklist actually the year of 2000. So compare that moment to the China is much better off today, yeah. but still, I think the China still has the, the political yeah. censorship yeah. and, and yeah. all these states. I mean, but, uh, bear in mind, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, artists. I mean, if you were to measure levels of censorship or or ability past, to show compared the, to the past, it's much. It's nothing like it was. I mean, artists. 10, 15 years ago, could not show their work in a state-run museum, could not show their work in a gallery. So things are um, vastly different. If you think of the Ai Weiwei example, what is interesting is that the authorities have no problem whatsoever with his artwork. It's not his artwork they have a problem with. They have a specific issue with his blogs and with his websites and his practices that are about social activism. And there, it's a rather, I mean, he attracted the attention with a rather innocent, I think innocent is probably not the best word, but he really wanted to publish the names of the victims who were killed in the Sichuan earthquake. That seems a rather innocuous thing, right? <laughs> but it became a really big political issue. So bear in mind that he's able to show his work at, at, at you know, in various places in China and internationally. So he's, it's he's a, showing everywhere yeah, in China. Yeah, he shows everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not, it's not so much the artwork that is the issue for the government in that sense. I've heard that the uh, art market for modern art and contemporary art in China is mainly fueled by foreign purchases. And after 2008 and the financial crisis in the West, the art market sort of dried up. I wonder if this has changed and if there's a market for contemporary art in China from Chinese people and if the new billionaires are active in buying their own work in China? I am not an expert on this market. None, none of us are actually But I, I can tell you what I know. Uh, it, it, in the last 10, 15 years, um, probably the most important collectors of contemporary Chinese art are most from outside of China. Mm -hmm. uh, not only Westerners, but also people in Taiwan and Hong Kong, Singapore. Yeah. Uh, but last few years, I think three, four years, we did see the development of new uh, generation of, uh, I, I won't call them collectors because it's too serious. I will call them buyers. <laughs> we, we saw the group, the, the development, uh, the growth of uh, uh, a new, totally new generation of buyers of contemporary Chinese art. And this number still uh, increase every year, every auction. I, I think in the next uh, few years, we will see a really large market mm. for contemporary Chinese art. Mm. And this definitely will help Chinese artists, but in the same way, it's like two sides, a knife, they will kill Chinese art too. I don't think it's a very good, because mm. it, they're not collectors. They just buy mm. as a, like a, buy, <laughs> buying and things in the generation. stock market. Yeah. <laughs> also, so this is a not, yeah. very, not, not really good news for the 
uh, art itself. Yeah, and the development of auction houses for modern contemporary Chinese art in China have really changed the game as well. Um, go on, Wendy, you wanted to say no, something. No, I can answer your specifically your question. And the Chinese contemporary art market actually from very beginning, let's say 2004 started, 2004, actually five, few yeah. Western big collectors to start, but this is not really focused on the art. Yet you have to think about it, consider the greater uh, surroundings, the China economic development, the political focus. So all draw the world attention. Therefore, the, the artists benefit, uh, draw the, the collectors' attention to the Chinese contemporary art. And the, that's not a real, actually, market. Then the, the Chinese contemporary art collection failed. It's not because of the financial crisis. It started earlier than, than the financial crisis. I experienced all these things. Then uh, in the future, I always believe that the, the real collector should come within, within China's system, but the China is not ready, including the education for the contemporary culture, the uh, facility for the contemporary culture, for the every people appreciation of the contemporary culture is not ready. It will take a long way to go, just like Mr. Sun said. Certain group of buying Chinese companies are within China. They are not real collectors. So China has a long way to go to match the contemporary art, to establish contemporary market and, and, and its surroundings. I, I would uh, counter a little bit of the buyer or collector uh, uh, separation. I do think the buyers in the Chinese market is actually a very, very... Uh, a good soil to sustain the kind of rigor of uh, Chinese artists in China uh, that develop into the, the higher tiers of the global scene. Because China have about 20 art schools that graduate about 30,000 artist students per year. Huge. There are a lot of artists. There are huge art uh, population tra trained. Uh, the ones that we are really known and being inf exposed to is really, really uh, if, uh, a small, small, tiny portion of it's it. A, it's a elite group. Yes. There's a few artists. But there is a whole, like 90% of them actually never get really space, opportunity to even show their work in the first five years of, after they graduate from the art school. But this is the same, in, this is a world yeah. situation. So artists. I think, I do, but I do think the buyers in China, the Chinese buyers actually would help to kind of, to, 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 to sustain that kind of, uh, the soil, the sub terrain of the art uh, activity. So I, I would just, um, so actually we have a foundation, me and some of my partners, uh, does nothing but actually make that soil much more uh, 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 fertile. I would like to ask the panel uh, to comment on what was represented as one of the topics of tonight, which is the notion of erasure, and how the concept of a new China is built upon the ruins of the past. And what is happening now is uh, China being transformed somewhat in a field of ruins. Um, artists like Honing or John Daly addressing this issue. Uh, Honing in his blog uh, commenting about the fact that uh, in urban centers, uh, pop entire populations are considered as waste. Uh, their dwellings are uh, uh, destroyed and they are being displaced. And how is contemporary art in China 
addressing this. We also have uh, Lu Xiaodong doing this uh, uh, giant painting on the uh, um, uh, destruction the of, in the Free Gorge area. But also, how is architecture both complicit and reacting to this? There are some architectural firms in uh, Shanghai, for example, who are uh, recuperating material from destroyed houses mm -hmm. and rebuilding with this. Uh, and so I think it's um, the, the question of the new is always uh, posited against the question of the old mm -hmm. and this tension between socialism and capitalism. You know the joke, I'm sure, uh, uh, what the Chinese government is doing is using capitalism to build socialism and people saying, well, actually he's using socialism to build capitalism with Chinese characteristics. So I, I would very much like the panel to respond to this. Thank you very much. It's a hard topic for Chinese to address because we're so respected because of our tradition. Uh, anything we do that kind of weaken that link, it's always a problem. Uh, but I do think uh, China, the tradition of China, even today, has a special way of maintaining tradition. Uh, we don't believe tradition is actually embedded in physical things. We actually, we, we, we believe tradition is much more in the kind of human interaction, much more in a lot of other things that can be represented through physical uh, uh, constructs. So um, I, I'm just going to state the fact, China as a whole does, is not afraid of losing old buildings. <laughs> I just want to, the arts, they, I mean, it's really not... We, it's actually quite the contrary. I do think there are a lot of effort, even in my buildings, that I build in countrysides. I use local laborers, use stones that picked from the river and pile up this. I do a lot of buildings in countrysides. Uh, many people felt, wow, this is so, such a good tradition. Such... No, it's, it's actually not tradition. It's the cheapest way to build it. <laughs> <laughs> so I do think Pragmatism. tradition has a logic. Tradition must in raise a logics that work the best for the purpose of the building. If tradition doesn't really serve that purpose, either from the use or from the process of building it, I, for good or bad, uh, it's not... Uh, so this is, that's why you see China as it is, architecturally speaking. Mm -hmm. I think uh, I will pass on art in art fields to them. Well, one of you, you mentioned that uh, China actually have 30,000 art, uh, artists uh, which graduate from school every year. Uh, but you know, when it comes to artwork, you're not, it's not just about quantity, it's about quality as well. So artwork also involves some creativity. Uh, how do you think that the like, Chinese education system is ex experienced uh, can like, foster creative student from that system? And uh, you know, like, uh, China is a, China families used to put lots of pressure on the students and uh, they want their children to make money as soon as possible. So lots of students just uh, select engineering as their major and uh, when they enter the universities. So um, yeah, how do you think about that? The second so question is Sheng, that... Uh, I might, let, yeah. Let's address the first one. So Sheng, with all of your experience in um, Chinese art schools in China, of course, 30 you years... Know, the, yeah education system anywhere is tried to produce the best uh, of this field, like uh, art, uh, art academy or, or want to produce the best artists for the country. Uh, but uh, in the last few years, we saw maybe 10, 15 years, 
we saw a very rapidly increased number of students. The, one of the reasons is because there's a kind of a market-driven mm -hmm. uh, system. It became an yeah. occupational option for... Because we, we, in the beginning of our conversation, we talk about the being artist is a privilege. Still, this kind of a mind is very popular in China. So many parents like to send their kids to art school because uh, they don't want their kids suffer. In, in other universities, maybe it's too hard for them. But to art school, they think it's, a, it's some It's not place, always the easy option. Yeah, some place to have fun. So the artist school in China, everywhere, uh, actually had a lot of... Uh, they expanded. Um, uh, young kids to apply. Yeah. So even the university now, every university now starts the art department. Yeah. So it's become much bigger than uh, 10, 20 years ago. Of course, this expansion of the numbers reduced the quality. This is uh, obvious because uh, you don't have enough uh, good teacher. You, know, you don't have enough uh, facility. Uh, but I would still say... Uh, you know, among all these uh, young people graduate from school, you still can see uh, every year you see a bunch of really good, talented young artists turn out from Chinese art academies. So I'm not worried about this too much. I, I still, I hope Chinese art system will, uh, you know, education system will um, become a more uh, independent from the market not really become a money-seeking kind of a machine. But uh, I, I think this is a, uh, you have to see a good side and the bad side and uh, help the system to improve. Um, and I, like I, promised, that was the last question. Um, we'd like to... Uh, so, actually, oh, did you have something uh, just yeah. very... I, I'm, sorry. Yeah. I'm an educator. Uh, the success rate of any population that educated is always this shape. You never can create a shape like this in education. In other words, if you want the top appetizer, you have to create the base. Mm -hmm. So the quantity and quality are correlated in this diagram. So the more we educate artists in art and humanities, the better artists will deliver. That's a great note to end on. Thank you.